This morning, like I said, we got a couple of good friends in the mix, good friends of mine and good friends of us here at New Life Young Adults. We got the one and only Pastor Brad Baker, who is the papa bear of our New Life Young Adult ministry. And then we got Dr. Mark Mayfield, who's a dear friend of mine. Uh, we just had Chick-fil-A a couple last week, right, two weeks ago. And there's nothing like breaking bread over a Chick-fil-A breakfast burrito that really just fosters kindred Chick-fil-A spirits. Chick-fil-A is partnered with DoorDash now in the delivery. Get out of here. That's my Monday morning feast tomorrow. All Thanksgiving, maybe. Um, okay, well, this morning, yeah, we're, let's, uh, let's open up some dialogue here. We have a number that I'd love to invite you guys to text in some questions. And really, here's the purpose and the heart behind this. Um, the, the issue of mental health is an issue that I think can very easily go uh, unnoticed, can go, well, not unnoticed, very much noticed, but uh, it goes unsaid. And very, uh, I think, too uh, too few, uh, I don't want to throw pastors or churches under the bus, but there, there aren't enough spaces, I believe, to really have these conversations about mental health because it's something that maybe us personally walk through, but even if we don't, people in our spheres of influences do. I think uh, every single one of us uh, in this room have either friends or family that have been affected by uh, some mental health issue. So I think this is a, a hot topic that we need to really give some attention to and Again, we, we covered this uh, last week, but El Paso County, I mean, my goodness, the number one county in the country. Is that still a, a recent statistic? Yeah, Time Magazine just put out that we are the number one county in the country for suicide. For suicide. Teen suicide? Just suicide. suicide oh, yeah. my gosh. Wow. So uh, so let's talk about it. We got some questions up here. Uh, pull no punches. Feel free. Um, text in your questions, and it's going to be good. Yes, by the way, your, your questions are anonymous. So if you text in here, it won't say, Brad Baker, ma, 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 ma. But uh, we're not going to be able to see who it is. So again, pull no punches. Feel free. Uh, go for the throat here. Text questions that uh, are on the burner for you guys. But I want to start us off with a couple questions just to get some dialogue going. Um, I, th- I think first we need to define the terms when we use the phrase mental health. I think, uh, like anything, there can be some gradient of interpretation. So just to lay the, the groundwork here, what do we mean when we say mental health? What, what's the working definition that you guys would encourage us uh, to work with here this morning? I think it's interesting because uh, everybody has their own definition of what mental health is. And so if you go to one agency or organization, they're going to have a different definition. But really the way I look at it is that mental health is the awareness around our own um, internal mind health, spiritual health, physical health struggles. Uh, whether that be uh, we have a propensity towards depression or anxiety or we have a history in our family of maybe bipolar or schizophrenia. It's just having that awareness around it. Um, but it's how do we come, and, I, uh, and Brad can speak to this too, but I think how do we come in alignment with the way God intended us to be created? And that's obviously we know that with sin in the world and that kind of stuff, it's we're never going to be the way that he perfectly intended. But uh, mental health is kind of that barometer of going, well, well something's not quite the way it was supposed to be. And so how do we come in alignment with that? Yeah, I, I love that, Mark. Uh, I think um, for, for me, trying to think of it very s- simple, um, it, it can be helpful and also harmful because you don't want to make it over, overly simplistic. But it's anything that per- pertains to your psychological, emotional, or social well-being. So anything that, that affects that realm could be considered a part of your mental health. I think also for me, when I hear the word Mental health, I think that there's, it also implies to some degree that there's mental ill health. And so um, to know that there's an optimal state that we're designed to operate in and reflect our creator in, and then there's a a degradation of that or a um, a deterioration of that into a place of being mentally not well. Well, um, while we're on that, can each of you share a little bit about your own personal journey as it relates to mental health and wholeness, right? Because very often it is a journey. Uh, Very few times, it does happen from time to time, but very few times is it, Lord, heal Brad of this, that, and the other, boom. And immediately he's healed of some mental illness. But um, 
Not that you have a mental illness, but you know. So, but, but I'd love to hear a little bit about your journey uh, to mental health and healing and wholeness that you guys have experienced. So I, I, for those of you that have heard me talk before, I've shared a little bit of my story, but um, I, because of some things that happened when I was younger, uh, in my zero to three years old, I dealt with a lot of anxiety and depression when I got to middle school, and that was exacerbated by bullying. Um, and I won't go into detail what kind of bullying. And actually, I want to change our, our vocabulary on bullying. Bullying is actually just abuse. Let's just call it what it is, right? So, uh, you know, I went through a lot of abuse in middle school, and it exacerbated the anxiety and depression to the point of uh, attempting suicide. I was 12 years old in sixth grade when I tried to take my life. And uh, coming out of that and realizing that, uh, and my family finally realizing that things weren't the way that they were supposed to be, um, really dove in and got some help. And, uh, you know, it's been, it's like, yes, I wake up every morning and go, okay, is today the day that my anxiety is going to be healed? And I'm not talking about like I'm, I'm maxing out at an 8 out of 10. I'm typically a 2 or 3 out of 10 uh, on the anxiety scale. And then situationally it'll go up. But to this, I, mean, I pray. I pray earnestly that the Lord, who is our healer, will heal me. And uh, hasn't happened yet, but I'm not going to stop praying. That's good. I love your story, and I love that you're willing to share, share Mark, as, as someone in the counseling field for you to open up about your own journey is pretty awesome. Um, you know, for me, I think I realized that I needed to do, uh, I needed help, and I needed uh, support, more support when my marriage um, about 10 years ago went through a really, really difficult time, and I began to ask why. I began to look in my past and my family of origin and some abuse that I faced growing up. And I thought, okay, these are puzzle pieces and indicators that the Lord wants to do a deeper work in my life. So am I going to allow him into that space or not? And I think you probably can relate when God highlights an area that he wants to heal. Um, If you're like me, you resisted at first. You know, sort of like that kid who breaks their arm or scrapes their elbow. It's like they, they hide the wound because they know initially the healing process hurts, sometimes even worse than the initial injury, you know? It's like, Mike, I have four kids, and they, like, they hide their owie because they know I'm going to put rubbing alcohol on it. Just kidding. Put Neosporin and Band-Aid, clean, clean out the wound, right? And so that was me. Um, and uh, in the process, uh, a counselor really helped me see that I had... Um, what some would term as kind of like a generalized anxiety that I was struggling with. I'm like, what do you mean you don't get anxious when you go into stores? Isn't that what everybody experiences? You know, it's like, oh, no, that, that's not normal, Brad. So I began uh, an exploration of like, okay, what do I need to do um, in conjunction with God to be in a better space so that I can have healthier relationships. So that's a bit about my journey. Thanks for sharing, guys. It's a vulnerable thing, too. Like, elephant in the room, it's not easy to talk about one's journey with mental health, whether you're, you know, on the victorious side of it or not. So first of all, thank you guys for opening up and and being here on stage and telling your story to, you know, 100 or so of us young adults. It's a big deal. Okay, pertaining to a specific issue here, uh, this question says, what are the best ways to show someone with depression you are there for them and how to avoid adopting their mindset? Very sticky but pertinent, I think, question. Um, Again, what are the best ways to show someone with depression you are there for them and essentially how to avoid adopting their mindset? I think depression can be a very sticky issue because, uh, especially in our society right now, um, we hear a lot of people use that term very loosely. And so is it situational depression? Is it uh, diagnosable depression? Is it, um, and I'm going to say this and I don't mean to offend anybody, but is it kind of I'm in the victim role where I need to get my needs met because I don't, I've not, like I talked about last week, I've not been seen by people. And so if I'm not being seen by people, I'm going to do what I can to be seen by people. So you've got to kind of tease that out because it's, it's depression's not depression's not depression. Now let's just talk about if it is actually diagnosable depression, um, there's, there's a couple things you can do. And one of them is just saying, Hey, I know you're struggling right now and I'm here for you, but I don't know, I don't want to fix it. And, you know, I think a lot of times when we feel like we have to fix something in somebody else, it's about our own uncomfortability. 
that we want to feel better because this is uncomfortable and I don't know how to deal with it, so I'm going to say something, I want to do something. And that's not what people need. It's, hey, I'm here. I'm, hey, can I bring some food over and we can watch a movie together? Hey, uh, you know, let's go grab coffee. Let's get you out of the house. But that's your only role as a friend, right? You're not there to heal them. You're not there to get them to the doctor. That's their own things that they need to do. They need to go see their own counselor. Um, but as far as taking on their own stuff, that's really sticky. And that comes back to you and going, what are your boundaries? Do you know your boundaries? Do you know when the line is crossed, when, when they're asking too much of you, and how do you say something you know, just really nicely of, you know, I can't do that today. Let me get you connected with somebody else. Um, but also, the phrase that I love to use, and I use this in counseling. So, I mean, can you just uh, a little picture? I see about 18 to 20 people a week, and I've been doing that for 13 years. I hear a lot of stories, right? And because I'm an empathic person and I love doing this, it's very easy for their stuff to come on to me. And so one of the phrases that I, I use a lot as I'm praying is, Lord, this is yours. I don't own this. I can't own this. Uh, and, and basically what you're doing is, is verbally putting it back on the other person. And so there, the, now there's that nice boundary in between where you can be effective as a friend but not get sucked into um, the, the depth and the darkness of the emotion. So to that, this question kind of piggybacks one idea that you highlighted, but it says, sup, yo, sup. <laughs> when do you know it's time to step in and, and making a friend get help or tell a professional that they are struggling? When do you know it's time making a friend get help? I'll just ask the whole question from start to start to finish. When do you know it's time to step in and make a friend get help or tell a professional that they are struggling? Well, you can't make a friend do anything, right? And so I think all you can do is create that cognitive dissonance in them that going, hey, life is not working right now, so let's figure out the options, and the options are. But I think uh, if we want to take it to the extreme, the extreme is when they're a harm to themselves or a harm to somebody else. So if you're worried about their safety, like you don't even have to get their permission to call either the hospital, 911, the counselor, um, to get that emergency help. Um, that's, we, don't, we don't mess around with that kind of stuff. But I think as far as making somebody do something, if they're just down in the dumps, we can't do that, which is hard. Kind of a, a general rule of thumb as it relates to suicide and to where you, you go, okay, this, this is getting more critical, is if, they, if they've expressed a timeline and they've expressed a means by which they, they're considering ending their life. So this weekend, and I've, I've purchased this, or I have access to this, then you start thinking about, okay, this isn't just a suicidal ideation that, you know, a, a, maybe a, it's more common to say, I've, I'm so depressed, I've thought about this. When they say this weekend and X method, then you go, hmm, Usually a time. What would you add to that? Well, and I think, too, it's not yours to determine. So if somebody is, is saying that they're not safe, like they – all of us have thought in a dark place, right? I mean, I shouldn't say all of us. Most of us have thought in a dark place, what would it be like if I wasn't here? That's not suicide ideation. That's just, like, I'm done with life. Like, this is hard. But we take it to the next step when it's uh, – I'm thinking about dying and, you know, down this road. But that shouldn't be yours to determine. So call a pastor – I mean, I, you call New Life and you, they walk you through it. Call our counseling center and our person that answers the phone will get you to a counselor to walk you through it. There's, that shouldn't be yours to determine. That's a lot of, that, that, again, that's the burden of the stickiness of it. That shouldn't be yours to, to tease out. When in doubt, just reach out. Yep. That's good. I didn't mean to rhyme. I don't know if that rhymed, but I, I was not intentional on that. <laughs> yeah, sure. I heard a sure. Um, so what do you do when one of your parents struggles with mental illness besides praying for them? Yeah. What do you do when yeah. one of your parents struggles with mental illness besides praying for them? I, I think you, going back to what Mark said, you have to do what you can to um, have a healthy level of separation from what your parents are going through and you. And I think... That is a weighty thing to to carry. Um, I I carry that as a forty two year old guy with with one of my uh, parents, um, and I think it's been super helpful for me to uh, to focus on me um, and to know that I'm pretty I'm somewhat limited in and how much I can help uh, my parent. 
I can I can make recommendations if they ask. I can pray for them. Uh, I can encourage them um, if they're seeking any sort of treatment, and I'm I'm able to um, uh, support that in any way, either either driving them or just encouraging that. Then by all means, do. Um, but I think that the temptation is to to for some of us is to to own it too much, and for their problem to be on us. Um, and so encouraging them to have lots of other people in their life um, is, a, is a good thing to do, but it's just challenging. Well, I think, too, I've got a family member that has significant mental health issues, and uh, we've set some specific boundaries as a family, and they've not been honored. And so uh, this is the hard step is that when you know we're individuals within a family, right? And so it's, we don't want to be enmeshed or you know, uh, sucked in. And so these boundaries in our family were not, were not recognized. And so the hard part is I haven't spoken to this person in two years. And they live in town because they would not honor the boundaries that we had set forth. And they weren't horrible boundaries. It was like, you know, don't say this to us. Don't come over whenever unannounced. Don't. And they were never. Um, and so we had to make some pretty significant changes so that we wouldn't get sucked in. It's a big issue, big question for sure. And I want to break this up a little bit, and I want to kick this next question first to the tables, and then I'm going to have you guys, uh, after we're done discussing for about three to five minutes, circle back on this. But here's the question, young adults. How do you delineate between anxiety that requires greater trust in the Lord and that which requires medication? really swinging for the fences here, but I want us to nuance it. I think it's, it's helpful to think critically about this stuff. So one more time, how do you delineate between anxiety that requires greater trust in the Lord and that which requires medication? Let's talk for about three to five minutes, and then we'll pick this up with these two and hear their answers. Ready? Go. All right. So, um, doctor and pastor, pastor and doctor, how do you delineate uh, between anxiety that requires greater trust in the Lord and that which requires medication? How would you guys answer this? Um, if I may uh, answer this question in somewhat of a roundabout way, um, 80% of what our uh, brain does is subconscious. 20% of what, what, we, what our brain does we're actually aware of in our conscious realm. Um, which means that that 20% that we're aware of, we are the gatekeeper of our thought life. So um, I want to point out the obvious um, in, in that our brain is separate from our mind. Our mind tells the structures of our brain what to do. The mind is sort of that metaphysical, non-tangible part of us. The brain is the physical structures in our skull. So you actually, your mind tells your brain what to think about right now. So you choose, you and I choose that. And so um, we first, when we start talking about mental health, we first have to follow the simple premise of Scripture that says, fix your thoughts on Jesus, right? Whatever is pure, whatever is right, whatever is noble, whatever is lovely, think upon such things. And so when we choose a thought life um, in the 20% of our conscious mind, it affects the other 80% of what our brain does, right? Which is largely control the autonomic responses in our body. So we can um, begin to have massive change in our life, relationally, physically, emotionally, psychologically, in every level, once, once we realize that we are truly the, the gatekeepers for our, uh, our thought life that affects the structures of our brain, that it then affects everything else. And so... Um, the first place I work on when I struggle is that 20%. What, Brad, Brad Baker, what am I thinking about? Is my thinking aligned with the truth and the reality of God, all-powerful, all-loving God, that have a future uh, hope in heaven that's going to be more glorious than I could ever imagine? I have a purpose right now in my life. I'm full of the Holy Spirit. God, before the creation of the world, created good works for me to do. My past is forgiven. I'm set free from the sins of my past. I start dwelling and meditating upon those things, and so much happens to me. I become different. My actual physical structures of your brain change when you read the Word and you meditate. Dr. Mark can tell you more about that. I don't understand exactly what happens, but it's good. Good things happen in your brain. And so... Um, 
to go from, okay, trusting more in God to medication is a pretty massive leap because there's so much in between. Um, so, Mark, that's sort of my way of answering it is like, have you first done this work with your thought life um, and before you, before you even consider this option? Make it better, what I just said. <laughs> no, that's pretty good. Well, I think, too, it's, it's realizing that, that that is a habit that we need to foster and grow. And the more that we foster and grow that, the actual connective tissues of our brain, the neural connections, will begin to change. Right? So this doesn't take into, I mean, and, and I know you do, this, you know, we take into consideration the wholeness of our story, right? We've got to take into consideration our past and our present and then consider our future. But the future is what we're talking about here. Fix our eyes on these things. But we need to tell our story. And our story is, okay, this is a broken world. What has happened to us that we couldn't control? And how has that affected our, our present? And if we can tell our story and begin to work these things out, the brain actually changes. Like we see it on brain scans, that the mind actually changes the brain. And we do that in relationship, which is beautiful. Um, and I'm re- I was just telling Brad up here as you were talking, I'm reading this book right now by an agnostic neuroscientist called How God Changes the Brain. And he was actually studying Tibetan monks and going, why are they the way they are, right? Uh, they deny self quite a bit. There's a lot of things going on. And there's a part of the brain called the interior cingulate, which connects the emotional brain to the frontal cortex, which is our thinking part of the brain. And they, he found in brain scans that Tibetan monks, their interior cingulate is f- over five times thicker, like the physical structure of the brain is five times thicker than the average person because they meditate. Now extrapolate that to us as Christians, meditate on the word of God. It talks, you know, um, we see that throughout scripture, right? Uh, think on these things, the, how our thought life really changes our brain. And so... I'm one to say, and I'll, I'll be very honest and open here, is that I work on these things daily. And there are days and there are weeks and there are months where if I, I could only imagine if I didn't do those things, what my anxiety would be like. But my anxiety is still like at a three or four or five, right? So as you make this a habit, make this a practice in your life, uh, that begins to fluctuate. But we can't, I can't predict walking out of here what's going to happen to me. Right, And that's anxiety-producing. But if I'm thinking about God has got my best in mind, and he is the author and perfecter of my faith, and he is, you know, we're ordained these things. Right? If we think about those things, then stepping out of here isn't that much of a big deal. But I love what you said, Brad, about this spectrum. We all, like, just, I think just being human, we have anxiety. Right? If, that's just, we do. But medication, in my mind, is this, like, I can't function and so if you've exhausted every opportunity to figure this out and gone to a therapist, uh, they actually say that therapy alone is actually 65 times more effective um, than medication alone. And if you're really struggling, therapy and medication, like, hit a home run, right? And so that's, that's just something to consider. Um, but it's not an either. I think in our, on a, would you agree in our culture we do a black and white either or, and it needs to be a both and. That's great. Okay, so this is a specific situation, but I think speaks to a greater whole and a greater uh, maybe area of wrestling that we have with this issue in faith. Uh, it, it says this, as someone who, uh, or as someone diagnosed with depression and who has been on meds before, my mom has consistently faulted me for using medication, calling me weak and attention-seeking. She has also been consistent on saying it's a lack in my faith and something caused by Satan. Thoughts? Am I weak? Is it Satan? First of all, (laughs) um, to this individual, as your young adult pastor, um, you are not irreparably broken. And uh, you do not have a lack of faith because you're dealing with this issue. And I think that whoever it is, whether it's a family member or a friend, I think there can be good intentions with all these things. I think very rarely somebody says, well, you got a lack of faith, fix it, just out of malice, you know. So there's probably good intention there, but take it with a grain of salt because that's, that's a slippery slope. You don't have enough faith, therefore, dot, dot, dot. Um, anyway. 
to clear the room and to speak to whoever you are personally. Um, be free, um, because we're about to talk about how that's not the case. Well, I don't know if you heard my language around when I was sharing my story. I said I, I struggle with anxiety, right? Did I say that I'm somebody that's diagnosed with anxiety? Is it totally different? And so whoever, uh, anybody in this room that this needs to be heard, you are not your label, period. Like, you are not your label. You are not, hi, my name is Mark and I'm depressed. No. That's what our society wants us to think. I am Mark Mayfield and I struggle with anxiety. That's my wrestling. That's my struggling, right? And so I think we, we have a tendency as a culture to label things and label individuals with something. And that's dangerous. But one of, uh, so I don't know if anybody knows who John Eldridge is. And if you do, don't, look him up and start reading his books because he's fantastic. He and his wife have a ministry here in town and internationally. But John says this, we are a mixture of our sin, our brokenness, and our spiritual warfare. Sin is our choice because of the brokenness, right? So sin is willfully doing something that we know is not right. That makes sense? Brokenness is the, the effects of the fall. It's the original sin. And that's something that when, if we believe that sin entered the world with a choice, Adam and Eve, right? It's not only in, inflicted our thought processes, it's inflicted our DNA as well. And so somebody that struggles with depression might have a, a biological, a physiological struggle that, yes, thoughts are going to help improve, but it's not going to totally be taken away, right? So that's the brokenness piece. And then the spiritual warfare. And what did you say about, I love, can you repeat the, uh, the, the victory army thing that you said about Satan? Oh, that um, he's a conquered foe. He, he was conquered. Sin and death and shame were conquered on the cross. But Satan, it's, it's like a rogue army that still exists. So in other words, you have sort of a guerrilla army. That it's primarily been defeated, but it still lurks in the jungles, and it takes advantage of people that aren't, aren't mindful that there is an enemy still out there. And that's, I mean, so if we look at it that way, we're a mixture of these three things, sin, brokenness, and spiritual warfare. It clears, hopefully it clears a lot of this, the shame and guilt going, like, why can't I get this together? Why can't I fix this? Uh, well, you know what? Uh, you know, we look at Scripture, and we don't know what Paul's thorn in the flesh was, but I actually... As I've done research and study, I have a feeling it had something to do with mental illness, right? And so these are the things that maybe are, we struggle with to, to remind us of our humanity and our, and our dependence on our creator, right? Because if we had it all together, would we need God? No. And so this is just a reminder, hey, you know what? I am human, and I need to bow the knee before my, my Lord and have him walk with me through this. And so I am really sorry for whoever wrote that I'm sorry that that's the message you've been getting because that's not God's heart for you and that's not his best for you. And so I want you to reach out uh, to somebody in your, in your world that is safe to be able to, to tell your story to and to work through this because it's not something that uh, you need to carry. And, well, go ahead. I was just going to say one last thing on this question is um, if your mom is open to it, uh, there's a book called Troubled Minds. Um, that is a really great book because it addresses some misconceptions about um, mental health, mental illness, specifically related to those in the faith community. So if you said to your mom, hey, mom, there's this book. Um, can we read this together and then talk about it? Uh, it might help her think differently about you and might help her talk differently to you, which would help alleviate some of the burden. And to end it on a big picture note... Um Disclaimer, obviously, yes, faith does things. Faith uh, in the power of God heals, right? Faith in the power of God sets free. But the theology that every single thing uh, can be fixed in our lives because of a certain level of faith just doesn't hold up under the biblical framework at large and in the record of church history. Like, tell that to the apostles who were martyred prematurely. Tell that to the countless saints who died of the Black Plague and throughout church history have died prematurely. Tell that to 
Job, if he was a real person, I don't believe he was, but I think it's, um, you know, tell the, to the suffering saint, to Paul, like it, it just doesn't hold up when you really step back um, that if you have enough faith, dot, 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 this will happen 100% of the time. And I think it turns people into scapegoats that uh, you're not doing this, therefore you're the one to blame. And I think, I think it's just bad theology that ends up wounding people. So um, anyway, to move on, and I may have stepped on some toes there, but I'm going to say it passionately because I firmly believe it. All right, another question. If you are depressed in your current situation, is that essentially saying that you don't trust God and that he has a plan for your life? No. (laughs) Ditto. Next question. Let's talk. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, If you're depressed in your current situation, um, I think it's it's an opportunity to... uh, to, to do some self-reflection and have deep conversations with friends and figure out what's going on. I like to call this slicing it thin because um, sometimes we just see this this thing in our life, like I'm depressed or I'm sad or whatever, without actually going through and saying, what are the layers of this puppy? And what's, what's in this? What makes this up? What's caused this? And so um, <laughs> do you think about about Christ himself, right, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, Father, let this cup pass from me. Like, he was in this place of despair. Was that a sign that he didn't trust God? No. It was a sign of his humanity um, and that he was being challenged to, to walk out something that was difficult for his humanity. So the fact that you're discouraged may just mean that you're in a challenging season and God wants to show you that that his power is enough, his grace is enough, and that you can overcome through him. Well, I want to challenge us to to rethink how we label things, too. And again, label not in the sense of like a diagnosis, but label in the sense of how we explain something. Because I think it diminishes, if somebody is diagnosably depressed, uh, saying, using the word depressed when we're discouraged, I think is is dishonoring to that person, to be honest. And so it's just asking all of us as humanity to deepen our emotional intelligence to say, you know what, I'm just, I'm discouraged right now. I'm frustrated. I'm sad. I have a little bit of despair. I don't know what, what the future holds, and this is causing some angst in me. But using, I, I really, uh, really push this hard with my teenagers I work with. Are you really depressed, or are you just, that's the, you can't think of another word that better describes it. So all of us, I think, need to be challenged to deepen our emotional intelligence around what exactly is that. And if you need resources, come talk to me afterwards. I can give you some great books and resources but I think that that's just kind of a pet peeve of mine um, because I want to honor those that are really going through the, the struggle. Here's a really good question. What role does clinical counseling play in the path to mental health? I think everything, if you find the right person. Uh, I'm a little biased, obviously, since I spent the last, like, 12 years of my life in school. Um, but I think it's... It's re- that was a joke. You can laugh on that one. Uh, um, no, I, I really think it's, 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 again, it's not an either or. It's a both and. I think the church and clinical mental health need to be in lockstep with each other. That's why I love working with these guys. Uh, you know, being able to put on the, the Springs Mental Health Summit. We had 400 and some odd people show up this a couple weeks ago. But the church needs to be with the one that leads the charge with this. We as, as uh, followers of Jesus Christ need to be leading the charge. And so it's finding the right person, right? Don't just go through the white pages and go, oh, there's a counselor, let me call and see. They need to have a similar worldview as you. They need to be able to walk with you along the journey in a way that's going to be honoring to your story. And so it's finding the right people in that. And that's why you have a great church like New Life who has a list of 15 to 20 approved mental health counselors that they have vetted right, that you can go, hey, who is, is this person that can walk with me? I personally believe, and this is, again, bias, but I personally believe that every person on the face of the earth needs to have somebody walk with them on their life, whether that be a mentor, a pastor, or a counselor, okay? And so if you can't have, don't have a mentor and don't have a pastor that you feel like you can get what you need from, there's nothing wrong with finding a counselor that you see once or twice a month, right? Maybe you're not in crisis, that's okay. Don't wait to get into crisis before you go see a counselor. And so I'm a big proponent. Let's rethink how we do counseling to this is just a part of my well-being. I go to the doctor for a physical. I go to the dentist for a checkup. I get my eyes checked. Why can't or shouldn't I go to a counselor once a month at least, or maybe once a quarter, just to make sure that I am okay? And there's something powerful about sharing your story with somebody that you know legally and ethically 
unless you're going to hurt yourself or somebody else, cannot share with anybody. Like I can't, I've got 13 years of secrets that I'm going to go to the grave with, and I find that an honor to be able to hear and to carry people's stories with me as I, as I go through life. Yeah. I, I am like Mark. I am a big proponent of counseling and, um, and therapy, and I, Carrie, my wife, and I were in marriage counseling for two and a half years, and it was some of the best investment we made in our relationship. That being said, do me a favor. Before you uh, pursue counseling, um, sit down and do some honest self-reflection with a friend or a mentor and ask simple questions like, do I make regular time to sit quietly before the Lord with my Bible open? And do I meditate upon Scripture? Do I think on such things? Am I a part of a, of a smaller Christian community where there's a sense of belonging and family and I know that I'm loved, not for what I do, but for who I am? Um, your physical health, am I, am I pounding five energy drinks a day or do, is my diet relatively healthy and do I exercise on a consistent basis? Twinkies and Mountain Dew aren't the best no, things No do. dice, no dice. Um, think through your basic self-care issues, physically, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, and go, am I even remotely doing my part? What about my thought life? Do I sit around and wake up in the morning and go, oh, crap, another day of school? Well, no wonder you're depressed. Instead, wake up and go, yeah, how much time on social media? They say, if you can be two hours or less on, on, on screen time, it dramatically improves your outlook in life. Study after study after study after study has shown that, right? So if you are not doing any of that, and you just say, I'm going to go to a counselor and, and pay you whatever amount, and they're going to fix me. Like, come on, take some ownership of our own journey. And, and the reason I'm getting kind of preachy right now is because I needed to hear this when I was in your stage of life. I still actually need to hear it right now, um, right? Think through those things so that when you go, if you go and seek counseling, you have a framework, of, uh, some, a base level that you have stepped into yourself. You've owned your journey instead of just saying, Mark, please fix me. It's like, dude, your life's a mess. Just make different choices. I'll, I will tell you up front that I won't fix you because that's not my job. Sorry. I love you all and I love myself. <laughs> well, I think another, I think a, a good step between personal discipline and honing that in and counseling is, and clinical counseling, I should say, is actually pastoral counseling. And like, we want you guys to know there are a copious amount of pastors here that can sit with anyone and, you know, for, for a number of sessions and talk through things. And I think that can be a nice barometer, both for the individual and the pastor to assess and figure out, oh, wait a second, there's something deeper that's here that, that is out of my league. And at which point we say, hey, Mark, uh, hey, Dr. Bowers, hey, a number of counselors here in the city and, uh, you know, refer then when it, when it gets out of our league. But I think that's a, that's a helpful thing as well that I've seen. When, when somebody's not quite sure, do I really have like clinical anxiety or depression or do I not? Well, let's sit together. Let's talk for about three or four sessions and, and then discern together. Um, and that option's available for, for all of us as well. All right. Um, let's, uh, let's do this one here. And I lost it. So I'm just going to vamp. Well, I'm talking, 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 talking. Okay. What do you do if your whole family, again, a a specific situation, if your whole family is struggling with different problems and see you as someone to talk to and vent to, and for right now, you're seen as the most stable. So you don't want to add to their problems by telling them you're struggling with your own problems. Hashtag don't want to be a burden. Well, first of all, I'm sorry. I think that's a role that in your family you need to try to figure out a way to, to abdicate or get get some help around. And I think that's where coming and talking to a pastor and helping them figure it out. Like you don't need to be stuck in your own bubble or your own mind trying to figure it out yourself. Get somebody to kind of walk with you through that. Um, and then if that's the situation you're in and you can't get out of that, then it's how do you take care of yourself outside of that so that you're available for them. But I think first step, come talk to Josh or Brad or somebody else at the church to help you kind of walk through that. I live with anxiety. I'm scared of getting treatment. What should I do when my anxiety is at an 8 out of a 10? I think first of all, talk to somebody about what that fear is. Because if we're talking about sin, brokenness, and spiritual warfare, the fear is the spiritual warfare piece. It's keeping you from getting whole and healthy uh, and so um, when you sit down at a counselor's office, I'll very normalize it. It's like this. 
like we're not going to pull out our little uh you know assessments thing and kind of look at you cross-eyed and that kind of stuff it's just like this it's just having a conversation with a friend somebody that really cares and so it's not something that that you need to be afraid of but i think really walking with somebody about what that fear is first is a is a big deal um so if you're, let's say, Friday night, 11 o'clock, and you hit an 8 or a 9 in your anxiety, what do you do? Um, how well do you know yourself in terms of um, how to hit reset? You know, I know for me, as, as someone who uh, deals with anxiety, um, getting outside, going for a walk, calling a friend for prayer taking a, 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 a soak bath with like Epsom salt and stuff it detoxes my physical body. And actually, uh, because we're all so interconnected, our bodies and our minds and our emotions and our spirits, it's all one big thing. Like anything you can do to care for yourself in that moment um, could really help lower your anxiety. Um, but, but knowing you and, and knowing what in the past has worked to help kind of you know, bring calmness, you know, meditation is, is key for me. Um, I, I go, I, my closet's dark. It's lonely. It's actually a place I go sometimes when I'm really feeling it. Um, open a simple passage and just meditate, you know, the Lord's prayer, our father who is in heaven. I'll just think about it. Our father, you're my father. And I'll just start praying through that. Um, um, there's a, a simple prayer that has to do with your breathing that really helps me. Father, you think about your father, your perfect heavenly father who, who is unlike the imperfection and fatherhood we see on the earth. I belong to you. So the sense of ownership when I breathe out. So, Father, I belong to you. Father, I belong to you. I'm yours. And it just brings you in this place where you, you step into your belovedness as a son or a daughter of God. Super calming for me. Um, what's that? So we use, uh, so my, I use the soak album. If you don't, haven't bought that from new life, I would you know, go get it on iTunes, but that's, we listen to that. We actually fall asleep every night to that for the last two or three years. And that's really helped calm anxiety down too. Music's powerful too. All of which are methods that the Holy Spirit uses. And I think that's an important distinction here. We are not talking about a divide between the physical realm and the spiritual realm, right? We have a God who is not a deity who set the cosmic clockwork and figure it out. Okay, I'm up here if you need me, but is intimately involved in our estate. And so I think that uh, even we need to rethink the ways that we think of music like soak or these practices of silence and breathing in like God uh, interweaved these things and hardwired things into our own neurology and physiology. So I I think it's a way that the Holy Spirit very much works in our lives. A couple more questions. Uh, I went to counseling several times and it was not helpful. Was I just paired with the wrong counselor or does it not work for everyone? (laughs) That's a good question. Uh, I think the answer is yes. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Uh, no, I think it's, it's it, because it's a relationship, and uh, we always tell this. I, I tell my clients this, and I, all my staff do, that you know, in the first session, this is a relationship, and it's about you. And if you don't feel connected, if you don't feel like, it's, you, know, like you can sit and talk and be open and honest, it's not the right fit, not going to hurt my feelings, we'll help you find somebody that is, right? And so counseling um, in that sense, if the counselor doesn't tell you that, they're in it for the wrong reason. They're, they should be in it for your end and your goals and your health. And so I can't tell you how many times over the last 13 years that I have said, you know, I actually speak up and say, this has been three sessions, and I don't feel like we're connecting. Are you feeling that way too? And let's help you find somebody that, that you can connect to is a big deal. But then, yes, I think sometimes the counseling doesn't work for everybody, and I think it's dependent on um, your own mindset when you walk in and or it just wrong time, wrong place. Um, Maybe it's something that could be better used with through spiritual counseling and biblical counseling, uh, through pastoral care, uh, or just a friend. Yeah, good stuff. I, I love everything you said. One thing that I think is important is to go home and write down your expectations of that counselor and saying, are these realistic? In other words, were you thinking them of them as the silver bullet? And it's like, no, this is a conversation, a relationship, and it takes time. Um, the other thing I was going to say completely slipped my brain. It was so profound that I just can't. 
We'll come back to it. Uh, I lied because actually there's one really good question and I want to end with another one, with the last one. So this is the last two. Uh, how do you respond to the statement? I thought I'm, of it. Sorry, okay, this is going to no, kill me. Go. I thought go. this is going to kill me. I, I, like, it would have bugged me all day long. So the other thing is maybe you didn't like your counselor because they actually spoke truth to you and challenged you. Uh, I, a lot of times, there for a while, the two and a half years we were in marriage counseling, I would say there was a good maybe 40% of the time that I left pissed at the counselor because they were, they happened to be the one that was uncovering things in my life that I didn't want to deal with. And I, I resented them for a while until my wife was like, honey, they're trying to help us. So, ah, I don't want to deal with that wounded my life. So think through that lens. Okay. Now you may go on. Root pulling is painful. Just the deep soul work that God invites us into. Yeah, I was uh, going to say, if your counselor makes you happy all the time, maybe you're at the wrong counselor. Yeah. And was it C.S. Lewis who likened pain to going to the dentist? Something like that. Like, well, of course it doesn't feel good, but yeah, I'm going to do it. Like, anyway. Um, so how do you respond to the statement, well, you've never been through anything like what I'm going through? Correct. I, one of my biggest pet peeves is the, uh, and not to bring any shame or guilt on anybody because I do it myself and I have to catch myself, but the phrase I understand. I cannot understand, even if I have anxiety and you have anxiety, I can't understand what your anxiety is like. And so I think it's this posture of the heart to say, you know what, uh, I understand that this is really hard for you or I, I see this is really hard for you. Help me understand your pain. Help me understand what you're walking through inviting the story in, um, but there's been a lot of damage caused by well-meaning people saying, well, I get what you're going through. You'll be fine. Or get over it or whatever. And so it's this idea of, of the posture of the heart going. And the, the phrase that I want you to remember is, it appears that you're struggling or it looks like you're going through something hard. Help me understand what you're going through is going to really uh, open up the door for storytelling. So good. So when someone says to me, you have never gone through anything like what I'm going through. What they're likely saying is, do you understand how horribly painful this is for me? And I am struggling, and I need you to understand that. They're, they're probably n- not trying to say, your problems aren't anything compared to my problems. They're probably, they're trying to express, I'm really, really, really hurting, and I need you to get that. So Mark Zachler, I invite him to say, well, help me understand that. Um, but, but for you, if you go, if, if that person is sort of diminishing what you're going through, um, find another place where that isn't the case. And to say, no, we all go through stuff. And just because my heart doesn't look like your heart doesn't mean any, any or, or greater or lesser. It's my heart. So find a place where you can also uh, be seen and understood. And unfortunately, that phrase, I think, sometimes can be used through manipulation uh, as a means to gain attention. In which case, I think we need to be discerning and figure out mm, what context is that being said in and from who, and then go accordingly. That's so good. Last question. When do I know it's time to seek help? I think it's different for everybody. I think that's where you go back to what Brad has said a couple times, is who in your life is speaking truth into it, whether it be a family member, a friend, a pastor, and they will help you determine, uh, find discernment about that. I think um, it goes back to this idea, though, that it's never too early to get help. Does that make sense? So it's never too early to get help. There's times where it's too late, but I don't think it's ever too early. So if it's uh, whether it be reaching out to a pastor, uh, a friend, a mentor, or, you know, a counselor. Um, and that, uh, any good counselor will sit with you for two or three sessions and go, you know what, you're doing really well. And maybe let's check in in a month or two. And, I mean, there are counselors out there that give the counseling profession a bad name, that they're there for your money. Like, any counselor that I work with or I teach when I teach at the university, and I say, if you're in this for the money, there's the door. That's not the, the purpose is to walk with people through their journey. And so if somebody's in it for the money, they're going to try to perpetuate it. But a good counselor will come up to you and go after, I, I've done this two or three times. I don't know why you're here. Like you're doing really, like you could counsel me. <laughs> like you're, you're doing really well. So let's figure this out. And they'll say, well, I just like coming. Okay, that's fine. You know, then it's every couple of weeks or whatever, but it's never too early to get help. I don't know what you think about that. 
I agree. I think one other angle to answer this question is, how do you know when it's time to get help? Is your heart beating and are you breathing? Then it's time to get help. What I mean by that is that we are designed to be interdependent. We are wired for love and connection. We need each other. That's why the scripture calls us a body. That's why it calls us a household. That's why it calls us a family, right? So every single one of us needs to lean into relationships to people, people that that we mentor, people that are peers, people um, that mentor us, uh, people that speak into us. We need all of that. That is us getting help from the body, right? Um, As members of the body, we both benefit from the body and we benefit the body, right? So it's this reciprocal relationship that we're meant to live in all the time. And a lot of times what causes us to reach a crisis point is that we haven't lived interdependent. We've lived independent, right? Um, so that's how I, what I would say about that. I, so before, I, about to, I was about to go into a full-blown sermon. 45 minutes, right? There's you guys yeah, yeah, listen. Mm, Three seconds. I, service, I got right? like two nods. <laughs> the rest of you are like, no. The coffee's not flowing that much, Brad. <laughs> Sorry. Um, well, guys, let's show some love to Dr. Mark Mayfield and Pastor Brad Baker. Thank you guys so much. Hey, Pastor Brad, in just a minute. I'm going to ask you to give us a benediction and a prayer. But before that, young adults, these were phenomenal questions. And I'm sorry that uh, we didn't get to all of them. But uh, Dr. Mark and I were talking in between that discussion period. And he actually offered to answer some of these questions. And if I email these to him and he'd follow up, I'm going to answer some of them as well. But um, we're going to be emailing or texting you guys, I guess texting because we don't have your information, but we'll text you guys um, some answers to some of these questions so that it can last a little bit more than just this. And especially the pressing ones uh, that are a little more sensitive, we want to get you guys help and we want to give you, uh, you know, some resources in your hands to, uh, you know, continue to journey the road to mental health and wholeness. Sound good? And was this helpful? Was this good? Okay, good. Great questions again. Um, in the meantime, let's, uh, let's wrap up. Pastor Brad, would you benedict us, if yes, you will? Yes, I would. Okay, let's stand to our feet. And if you're comfortable, put your hands out in front of you in a posture of receiving. Father, we acknowledge that we belong to you, that you have marked us as your sons and as your daughters. You've placed your mark of ownership upon us. You've put your Holy Spirit within us as a deposit guaranteeing what's to come. So God, we thank you that past, present, and future is in you, is covered by you, is secured by you, and that we stand on the rock that is Christ today. And circumstantially, this world is nuts. But you, God, are stable. You are perfect love. You are strength beyond measure. You are hope eternal. And so we breathe you in today. Let's take a deep breath collectively today. Father, we belong to you. We are yours. And I now bless you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he turn his countenance towards you and grant you peace. May you be led forth with rejoicing and praise. Walk in your identity as sons and daughters of God. I bless you. And everybody said, Amen.